So if you guys want to go ahead and turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 2, we'll be in verses 22 through verse 36, a nice big heavy chunk of scripture. And as you guys know, if you need a Bible, please email me. I'll send you one. All right, verse 22 says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me. He is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced, and my flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades, or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life, and you will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God has sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne. He foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Amen. So as you may have assumed, or maybe didn't, but uh, there's quite a bit to unpack in this section of Scripture topics and doctrines that to this day are still being unpacked. So every aspect of every doctrine will not be fully explained this morning as the wisdom of God is both concealed and revealed. However, we will be looking at his revealed will and wisdom this morning as the Holy Spirit magnifies the Son. And that is something to be excited about. Last Sunday... Right, we began looking at Peter's sermon. Peter stood up and opened his mouth among the eleven. Now the other disciples may have had a different reaction to this just 55 days earlier, based on Peter's history of opening his mouth. But this time Peter's different. And as Joby brought up last week, just 50 days earlier, was Peter denying the very Lord he is now professing as King of Kings. Something has changed in Peter. He has gone from seeking his own plans to recognizing that the plan of God has always been and always will be. The Holy Spirit indwelling Peter has illuminated the Old Testament scriptures 
and the very words of Jesus, so that he now clearly sees the foreknowledge of the Father being put on display in his friend and Savior, Jesus. In verse 21, in which Peter is referencing the prophet of Joel, verse 21 of chapter 2 of Acts, Peter is referencing the prophet of Joel, it says, And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now Peter transitions to verse 22, to that name in which whosoever calls upon shall be saved. Jesus of Nazareth. He says, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. Now this is the only name in heaven and under heaven that offers salvation. Only believing in the name of Jesus does one taste the eternal goodness of inheritance. Just as Paul wrote in Romans, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. We live in a time where we have and we are witnessing the grace and mercy of the Father. He has sent his Son into the world not to condemn the world, but to save it. In John three sixteen through 18, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he does not believe in the name of the only Son of God. Jesus of Nazareth. Through the person of Jesus, the sovereign will of God is most perfectly displayed. So Peter's audience, many, thousands, is introduced to Jesus of Nazareth in verse 22. Now, the rest of this section describes how the plan of God has always been pointing to Jesus and will always point to Jesus. Jesus always has been and always will be King of kings and Lord of lords. He has always been and will be the Messiah that rescued God's people from eternal judgment. Now, for a second, I want you all to just imagine, go into your imaginary places, well, I'll lead you there. I don't want, anyways. Okay, so imagine for a second, you're a spectator of what has happened in the last 50 days. You're here with Peter, and you're thinking about all that's happened in the last 50 days. Three men have been crucified on crosses. One who made claims he was king and the son of God. Well, he dies. Then you hear reports a few days later that that same man who he said was the Son of God, his tomb is empty. The disciples of that man testify that he has risen from the dead, along with several other people you know who said they saw him. And now you just heard a noise that is unexplainable. 
And Galilean men are speaking other languages fluently. You just want to know what in the world is going on. Then you hear Peter speak, and you're listening with an attention you've never had about this man, Jesus of Nazareth. Peter's voice proclaims, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Whoa. So wait, was Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan of God? Or does the responsibility of his unjustified crucifixion lay on the hands of lawless men? Yes. Okay, we're back here this morning. If you were back in the first century, come back. So Peter addresses the crowd and says, You crucified and killed. He was crucified by his own. Because their expectation of the Messiah was according to their own will. Peter is calling out their sin and seeking a Messiah of their own liking. One commentator says this, he says, The Jewish people couldn't fathom a crucified Messiah. Messiahs win. Jesus, however, was crucified in shame and agony. How could he possibly be the Messiah? Peter shows his audience that Jesus didn't die a pathetic victim. He laid down his life in fulfillment of the sovereign plan of God who purposed to sum all things up in Christ. In John 10, 17 through 18, Jesus says this. He said, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Now, the sovereignty of God is truly astounding. It is full of glory, bless you, truth, and power. Time and time again, throughout the scriptures, we see the plan of God orchestrating all things, including careless evil of mankind, to his glory and for his glory. Dr. Moeller says of this, he says, The God of all scripture is the God who orchestrates all things according to the counsel of his will. Now, one of those times we see in Genesis, right, the story of Joseph. Joseph, too, was handed over by hands of evil men, also known as his brothers. But God's plan was to prepare a way for those very same evil men to be saved. Now, super quick synopsis of the story of Joseph. Kids, I'm going to need your help. His brothers were jealous of him, so envious of him, so they, anybody know what happened, what Joseph's brothers did to him? Oh, jail, pit, yeah, perfect. Sold into slavery. His own brothers sold him into slavery. Dang. Well, that same God, that same time, God was still with Joseph. 
and blessed the works of his hands. And he found himself being at the right hand of the Pharaoh, the ruler of Egypt. And a great famine came to the land. And Joseph's brothers ended back up in front of his presence and their brother, seeking provision and food. Although they didn't know they were standing in front of their brother. Then Joseph reveals himself and is able to bless his entire family, all because his brothers had sold him into slavery. And Joseph tells his family in Genesis 50, verse 20, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones, and thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. So although Joseph was sold by his own brothers for 20 pieces of silver or shekels, God's will was simultaneously being accomplished. And now we look at our Savior, Jesus. He was sold for 30 pieces of silver, which was prophesied and foretold in Zechariah hundreds of years prior to Jesus' life. Though he was crucified by wicked and lawless men who are still accountable for their sin, as Peter pointed out, the Father's will was being orchestrated to his glory. My kids. <laughs> they say I do that all the time, so I just wanted to make sure. Okay, all kids, I have a question. Is there anyone or anything more powerful than God? No, amen. Adults, is there anything too hard for God? So how he accomplishes his will through sinful, broken people in whom are guilty of sin and yet does all things for the good of those who love him while doing only what is good, right, and perfect is not only possible, but it is the way he has chosen to reveal his glory. Mr. Spurgeon right, has some commentary on this section. He says, It is folly of people to imagine that these two disagree. Right, His sovereign will working as evil at the same time. If we do wrong, we are accountable for the wrong. And that there is a providence who ordains everything does not take away from a person the full responsibility for anything he or she does. This is why he sent Jesus, because we are guilty of sin. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Another commentator says this, he says, God did not send Jesus Christ in order to see how his creatures and their sinfulness would respond to him, nor did God consider the crucifixion to be a mere possibility. Jesus Christ was the Lamb of God who was sent to die. But death, it couldn't hold him. And Peter says that in verse 24, that it was not possible for him to be held by it. There's something uh, R.C. Sproul brought up, one comment he has, he says, the really astonishing statistic is not that one should rise from the dead, but that one should remain sinless throughout his life. If that is true, then it would be morally unjust for God to allow a sinless man to suffer the curse that he assigned to sin. Right, and then Peter quotes even in Psalm he quotes Psalm 16 in his verses 25 through 28 of Acts, 
says, for David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad, my tongue rejoiced, and my flesh will also dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades, or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life, and you make me full of gladness with your presence. The Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, did not submit himself to human form in a last-minute response to our sin. There are no surprises. The prophets of the Old Testament time and time again make references to the death, life, and resurrection of the Messiah. And Peter exposes this to us in verses 29 through 38 of chapter 2. He says, Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is empty to this day. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him, that he would one of his that he would set one of his descendants on his throne and he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ that he was not abandoned to Hades nor did his flesh see corruption being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the father the promise of the holy spirit that he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing i think there was an amazing gift of faith the saints of old had. They trusted the promises of God, although some would never see them come to pass. Right? Adam and Eve were told their offspring would crush the head of the serpent. Noah was told the earth would never flood again. Abraham was told his descendants would be as numerous as the stars in heaven. Jacob was promised that through the nation of Israel would be an assembly of nations. And here we see David being told one of his descendants would sit on the throne. But David died and was buried. And as a prophet, he spoke of God's promises to him with such specificity of the death and resurrection of Jesus, right? He's at the right hand. My soul will not be abandoned to Hades and the Holy One will not see corruption. Peter again points to the Messiah, Jesus, in verse 32. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Peter is a witness, right? He's not just reporting facts. He saw it. They ate breakfast with the resurrected king. They watched Thomas touch the wounds in his hands. They gazed upon their Savior as he ascended into the heavens, being therefore highly exalted to the right hand of God. And because Jesus went to the Father, he sent the helper that he had promised, the very helper that he told them he would send to remind them of everything he had taught them. And the Holy Spirit came with power. And having received from this Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. That's what the sound was. And all who were listening just were told that the Spirit of God, think about that, the Spirit of God had been sent, and that is what they were seeing and hearing that day. The Spirit has been sent because the Son is now at the right hand of the Father. 
The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. This verse was very familiar to the Jewish people. They would have recognized it. It is a verse the Pharisees likely had in mind when Jesus would make claims of his lordship and yet also at the same time be a seed of David. Sproul again has a comment on this one. He says, this is a political statement with a vengeance, a statement of cosmic authority. Above every emperor, governor, king, and president is the one whom God has placed at his right hand, calling him not just king, but king of kings, and not just Lord, but Lord of lords. And so Peter is emphasizing God's sovereignty, right, his control. The life, death, and resurrection of Jesus was according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Ephesians 1.10, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Now, I've mentioned before about my use of the words never and always. I use them with caution. Well, definite is another one. God's will is definite. In verse 36, Acts 2, says, Let all of the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now, as I was preparing for this sermon, praying for this sermon, and now delivering this sermon, I hope Jesus' name is the name above all other names in your life. And I have faith that the Holy Spirit is at work. Right In this small section of Scripture, we see an almighty, sovereign God humble himself to save lawless sinners. What should our response be? Where should we go from here? Philippians 2, 5 through 8. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now for us who have called on this name, we look forward to the day in which we will not only bow our hearts as we do today, but we will stand physically before our king and bow a knee in his glorious presence. Ephesians 1.11, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. But guess what? It's not just believers who will be bowing before the king. It's not just those who have been brought into the light of our king that will bow. It's not just those who acknowledge Jesus as king. No, he is king, whether you believe it or not. And you will bow before him on the day, whether you want to or not. Jesus of Nazareth 
is Lord. Jesus is king. And only Jesus can save you from the destruction in which you stand already if you have not put your faith in the King of kings and the Lord of lords. If you hear your voice, do not harden your hearts. Do not stay in rebellion. Repent and confess that Jesus is Lord. Philippians 2, 9 through 11. God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Church, we, we are in a gracious time of history where we can look back at the cross of Christ in which he fulfilled the definite plan and foreknowledge of God the Father. The Savior has saved. The Redeemer has redeemed. The King has triumphed. And the Lord, the Lord is seated at the right hand of God. This has happened and is happening. Right? Believe in the name of Jesus. So Peter, he preached this gospel message by the power of the Holy Spirit to display the glorious sovereignty of our God, right? shown in the work of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And as Peter preached, right, he cast line into the crowd, right, hooked with the sovereignty of God and the Holy Spirit, pierced souls that would pull them from the darkest depths of death and pull them into the boat of God's salvation. Peter was now a fisher of men. This is the gospel message. This gospel message that we read this morning is the same gospel message we preach to the world. Jesus is Lord and Christ. Let's pray. Father, you are, your sovereignty is amazing. Your ways are above our ways, your thoughts above our thoughts. Lord, we praise you and thank you for displaying who you are, fulfilling and fulfill, have fulfilled the plan that you predestined and your son Jesus. Father, we can have confidence, we can hope in the name of Jesus because you are true, you are faithful. You will do what you say you will do. Lord, I pray as we go from here, Holy Spirit, that you are changing our hearts. Holy Spirit, would you draw us closer to our King? Father, would, you, would we recognize you and see you and believe in the name of Jesus, that is above every other name. Father, we praise you and thank you for your word. Your word changes hearts. Your word sanctifies our hearts. Your word has justified our hearts by the power of your Son. Thank you, Father, for what you have given us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.